everyone. Thanks for checking out this podcast. I hope today's conversation inspires you and builds your faith for the moment you are in right now. Know that God's love for you truly changes everything. Enjoy the message. Oh, all right, let's get the house lights up. Let's see all these beautiful people in here. Come on, let's raise a hallelujah. <laughs> oh, it is so good to see you today. Now, before we get into God's word, which is the foundation, uh, the lamp for our feet, the light for our path, the, the, the guidance that we have come for in our lives. Listen, you don't care what I think, right? You didn't come to hear from me. You came to hear from God's word today. And before we get into that, I, I want to share with you just a little something as we've been you know, going through this crazy season and now as the sun is coming out and the feeling of, of spring is kind of returning and and. I, I, I had a sense of something that I, you know when you get one of those ideas when, when you don't know if it's a God thought or just a thought? You, you know what I mean? And, and so I, I, I'm going to test it with you and you can help me determine whether this was just a Joel thought or a God thought. This week on, on Wednesday night here at, at around 5.30, I was out in the atrium and they were getting ready to do in-person student ministry here in the Celebration Center. As our student ministry has, has grown and we're looking at, you know, kind of removing limitations and now we're thinking, like everything is kind of outside of the box, right? Like when it comes to ministry and, and online ministry and like a year ago, we would have said you were crazy if you would have told us that in our small group ministry, that we would have people in online small groups studying along with us on Sunday morning and meeting with their small group every week, serving in their, in their local community, people who are part of our church small group system who live in Brazil <laughs> and, and, and other places around Canada and around the world. Like, they, that just blows our mind, right? So like ministry, we have these boxes. Now it's kind of like all the boxes are kind of like exploding as we're seeing how God is doing a new thing and boundaries are being crossed. And so while there are a lot of frustrating things and limitations over this last year, that uh, there are also ways that God is using this to reshape his church in good ways, I believe, even with all the challenges. And so last Wednesday night at 5.30, I promise we're eventually going to get to the Bible teaching. But last week, about 5.30, and they were getting set up in here for youth ministry. And I just had this sense as I was walking through the atrium. I just had this strong sense that that idea came into my mind that our teenage ministry is about to bust out of the box. Because now, again, we're reaching teens more than just who are coming here into the building on Wednesday night but online as well, here in our community, students who wouldn't be able to come here in person and around the world. The, the limitations are, are falling down. And then later that evening, uh, I, I, I went to the gym to work out and I was in the locker room all by myself. And I, and I just sat there on the, and I was thinking. And this thought came to my mind. And I don't want to test it with you and see if it's just a Joel thought or if it's a God thought. The thought that came to my mind was this. We are coming out of a winter season. And spring is a season when dormancy gives way 
to new life. Let, let, let me explain. See, over the last year, many churches, hopefully not our church, I mean, we've gone through hard times, but hopefully we've not been in a season of dormancy. But I know that even within our church and within our community, there are Christians who have fallen into a winter season of dormancy over the last year. In fact, statistics show around North America, the, the going number is that about 25% of people who were part of Christian churches a year ago, once the pandemic hit, just kind of didn't stay connected and online and whatever. And that as churches reopened, that about 25% of the people who were part of churches aren't gonna, aren't gonna come back. And yet, and yet, The church is at its strongest when it's at its purest. And, 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 and many, and I get it, I'm not saying you're wrong. I, I think you might be right, that many are concerned that Christians might be heading into a season, a generation of persecution. Okay? But listen, don't be afraid. Because historically, the church is always strongest when it's purest, and pure persecution brings purity when it costs you something to follow Jesus. Okay? So here's the thought. That we're coming out of a season of winter, of dormancy, when many Christians' spiritual lives have looked dead and under the ground like there was no life left, just like winter in Canada. But spring is on the way, and there's a new season of vibrancy, a new life that I envision for many Christians as they start to come out of the ground and resurface and start to engage in ministry and serving their community and declaring the praise of God at the top of their lungs, whether they have to wear a face covering or not, that they will not be deterred and that our groups are going to start to move forward and we're going to start seeing people come to Jesus. And listen, there's going to be discipleship. Listen, it's not just about more people. It's about going deeper, right? And as we go deeper, God will take care of more people. So let's go deep today. Are you ready to study God's word today? Est-ce que vous êtes prêts? Are you ready to? Oh, come on now, convince me. It's been lonely in here speaking by myself. Come on, convince me. Are you ready to study God's word today? All you online folks can just say amen. Okay, let's get into the Bible today. We're in this series where we're talking about how grace works. And our theme verse has been Romans 6.14. For sin shall not be your master... Sin is no longer your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. And so over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how the Old Testament law fits together with the New Testament grace. And we've seen how, listen, it, we're no longer under the law, so it's not about trying harder to be a better person. It's not about 
your good works. It's not about even coming to church. Listen, that our salvation is founded upon grace, which is received only through the sacrifice of Jesus who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And when we receive that, it is called the gift of grace in our lives. But how do we receive it? How do we find that forgiveness? Here it is. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through what? Everybody say it with me. Through faith. Oh, come on now. Don't, don't fall asleep. Remember, it's a season of new life. It is by, let's say it together. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, what is a gift? A gift is something that you cannot earn. It is given to you freely and you have to receive it. And so it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So here's the good news. The good news is that it's not about how good you are. And so some people say, well, well, that's great news. I guess I can just do whatever I want. I can go out and be as bad as I want. I can, I can sin, sin, sin as much as I want because I'm saved by grace and not by my works. That seems like a logical conclusion if you take Bible verses out of context, but it is in fact a false conclusion because look at what comes next in verse 10. Now we're gonna start, let's start back at verse nine again, then we'll keep going into verse 10. The middle of verse nine says, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Everybody say good works. Good works. You're getting better. Okay. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. So in the first two weeks of our series, we've been talking about this, how we are not saved by our works. It's not about what you do. It's through faith in Jesus and receiving his grace, receiving his forgiveness. But as important as that is, and it is the foundation of the good news of Jesus, as important as that is, if you take it out of context, like we said, it can lead you to some false conclusions. Okay, because look at what verse 10 says. Once you become, let, let's, let's kind of go back here to the script. What? Once you become a new creation, once you have received by faith his grace and are saved, the gift of God, not by your effort, not by your works, so that you can't boast as if it's all about you, that you've earned it somehow. But when that happens, then we become God's workmanship created in Jesus. In other words, we become a new creation. Another word for that in the Bible is born again. Created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared for us in advance for us to do. God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, now let me show you the distinction. Here's how that works. Let's put this on the screen. We are not saved by good works. That's what we've been talking about in this series so far. But here's what we're going to talk today about today. We are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. To do good works. And let me, let me explain this for you because it might be deep. This is a profound theological mystery. And so I'm going to unpack it for you, okay? 
Get, get your thinking caps on. Are, are you awake? Okay. Good works, here's the definition, the theological, philosophical definition. Good works are works that are good. Did you get that? Okay, you get that? They're not bad, not bad works. They're good. That's why we call them good works. It's the opposite of doing bad stuff is doing good stuff, right? Oh, you're like, Joel, this is so simple. What did I come here for today? I could have watched this in my pajamas at home. I know, I know, I know. So let's make it more complicated. Now I'm going to ask you a trick question. We're going to put it on the screen and I want you to think about it. And I'm telling you in advance, it's a trick question, okay? Are we judged by grace or by works? Okay, I want you to think about this. And I'm going to get you to answer. Are you, are you brave enough? Here we go. I want you to raise your hand. And, you, and, and even at home, you don't know it. I can see you sitting on your couch, even if you raise your hand. So you better participate. Okay. Are we judged by grace? How many of you say we are judged by grace? That's a, Yes? Okay, excellent. How many of you say we are judged by our works? We got it? Yeah, we got, we got a good. How many of you are afraid to raise your hand? <laughs> You're like, oh, I'm not getting into this, man. You got the light turned up. I, people are going to see me. Well, guess what? Do you know what the answer is? Both. Exactly. The answer is both. You're both right. Don't you love that? When it's multiple choice and all the answers are right? Isn't that awesome? It's both. It's just like when somebody asks you for dessert, what do you want? Pie or cake? What's the answer? Both. Okay. Now, now some of you are like, whoa, 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 Joel, Joel, Joel. Careful, Joel. You're walking on dangerous ground here theologically because we are not saved by our works. We're saved by grace and grace alone, not by anything we have done. We already saw that. And you're like, Joel, 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 you're missing that. I know, you're right. We are judged by Grace, because we are forgiven by grace. But listen, we are also, even after we have received grace, after we receive salvation in Jesus, upon the foundation of that salvation, when we get to heaven, we will still be judged by the work that we do or don't do. In terms of, get this, not whether we get to heaven or not, but in terms of our reward when we get to heaven, okay? Some of you are like, Joel, what are you talking about? Because you don't hear this taught a lot, but it's all throughout the New Testament. For example, Matthew 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man, Jesus, is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will what? He will... Oh, come on, don't fall asleep. Stay with me. He will what? He will reward each person according to what he has done. Now, notice this is not about salvation. It's about your reward. And we're going to look at a lot of scriptures and see a lot of this today. But, but to lay that foundation, let's, let's real quickly, I've, I've mentioned Robert Morris, uh, referenced him a lot in this series. And I love how he says this in scripture, that there's a distinction between our belief and our behavior. Belief determines where you spend eternity, your salvation in Christ. Behavior determines how you spend eternity, your, your reward. 
In other words, the choices we make as believers every day, your financial choices and giving to the kingdom and sharing your faith and investing in inviting people to church and, 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 and serving the poor and racial reconciliation and discipling new believers and loving others determines what level of reward you receive in heaven. Now, now, I know this sounds like heresy to some Christians, but hang with me. We're gonna, in Scripture, how many of you know the Bible talks about mansions and crowns and rewards? Matthew 6, verse 19 and 20, Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, which is what everybody does, right? That's what our Western culture is built upon, is building up treasure on earth. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, Jesus says. Now, I don't wanna be mean here, but the way that some Christians are living selfishly, you might end up in the poorhouse in heaven. Have you ever thought about this? Now, 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 some, the way that you're serving and caring for others and, and modeling Jesus and, 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 and the way that you treat your finances and your career and everything is for the, for the glory of God in your life. You're gonna have mansions with gold and, and jewels. But some, how little you have given to God and others, you might end up in a little tiny house trailer hauled behind a jankety old pickup truck going down the streets of gold like the Beverly Hillbillies. You're like, Joel, where do you get this? Let's look. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, here's our main passage for today. There's so much richness here that we're going to look at. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 11 says, For no one can lay any foundation, nobody can do it by yourself, any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So this is talking to Christians, right? the foundation of your salvation. Now, if you're here today or if you're with us online and you are not yet a believer in Jesus, we are so glad that you're with us. We really, really are. There's no better place for you to be. And we hope and pray that that you will receive the grace of Jesus and confess your sin and believe on him for your salvation. And once you do that, when you become a follower of Jesus, once you are saved, what you do Good works matter. Because look at verse 12. If any man builds on this foundation, the foundation of your salvation, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Now, now, let's, let's look at this together. Look at the building materials that are listed here in building your spiritual house in heaven as you pay it forward, okay? When you build upon the foundation of your salvation, first it says you can build with gold, silver. Gold is like the most precious and costly. Silver, not quite gold, but still amazing. Costly stones, solid, reliable. But then look at what comes next. Or you can build with wood, hay, or straw. 
by the works that you have done. Now, what, is, what are common traits of houses that are built of wood, hay, and straw compared to the others? They are all flammable. In our neighborhood this week, we had a horrible tragedy. Uh, I woke up and uh, at 3.37 in the morning, 3.38 a.m., and, uh, and heard fire trucks. And we went downstairs and I went outside and our neighbor's house was on fire. Never seen anything like that in my life. Flames coming up. It was horrible. They'd all gotten out safely, fortunately. And so, you know, we were out on the street in the middle of the night helping and, and, uh, and giving coats to the family because, you know, because of all the stuff they've lost. And, and uh, I went and raided our pantry and took, you know, food down and so forth. And, uh, and there were at the neighbor's house next door is like 15 fire people. It was, it was tragic. It was such a sad, sad night and now it's hard for them and fortunately many there are people here in this church who are helping and and blessing that family so thank you for what you're doing but it, it, here's what it reminded me here in Canada most of our houses are made of wood right and wood is flammable and what's even worse is the bible says that some people are building their spiritual house out of hay or straw by the work that they're doing or not doing for Jesus. By hay or straw. And here's, here's why that matters. Because it says there is a fire that is coming. Let's continue, verse 12 again. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved. He himself will be saved. So again, this is talking about a believer, somebody who's saved, but doesn't invest richly and do good work. They will be saved, but only as one escaping through the fire, just barely. I, I had a thought. Wouldn't this be a good time to take up an offering? <laughs> Store up your treasure in heaven? Okay, I'm kidding. Kind of. No. Uh, but, <laughs> but in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus gives a caution. Matthew 6, 1, Jesus says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Remember last Sunday? Remember we talked about this last Sunday where Jesus said, that the Pharisees were more concerned about showing off, doing good works for their reputation. But Jesus said, it's not as much about your reputation. It's about your, you remember what? About your motivation. So don't do good works to be seen by other people. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. 
So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. In other words, when you do these good things, when you do good things for the glory of God, but really behind the scenes, the reason you're doing is is for the glory of self, really you're doing it to show off and impress other people and prove what a good person you are. God says the only reward that you will get for that, Jesus says, is the reputation and and the, the ways that people think of you, that will not count in heaven. Here's another one. Check out 1 John 2.28. And now, dear children, continue in him. So this is, dear children, continue in him. So these are people who are in Jesus. This is talking to Christians. Continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. So what that means is, listen, this is talking to Christians that, that some Christians when they meet Jesus face to face, will be confident and unashamed, which means that there will be some Christians who will be insecure and ashamed. Now, why would a Christian feel insecure and be ashamed when they stand before Jesus? And is it what we're talking about here? Is it, is it maybe that this is, you know, this is someone who, who never tithed, they never invited anyone to church, they never served in ministry, they never helped the poor, they just became a Christian and attended church and wasted what God gave them. And John says, they will stand ashamed before Jesus. Now, now I'm telling you, some, something that many Christians, this is something many Christians have not, have not noticed. See, not only are there varying degrees of rewards in heaven, there are also varying degrees of punishment in hell. It will not be the same for everybody. Look at Matthew 11, verse 20. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? Why will it be more bearable at the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than it is for Chorazin and Bethsaida. I'm glad you asked. Let's look at a map. Here's why. Because here is the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Lake of Tiberias. The Sea of Galilee is where Jesus spent most of his time. And not just just the entire area, but literally most of his ministry took place, not all, but, but the, the preponderance of Jesus' ministry took place in Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, which was the home of like Simon Peter and a lot of those first apostles. Their hometown was Capernaum. And so Jesus set up shop there, and that was the home base for his ministry for the three years before he was crucified and resurrected. So what that means is places like Chorazin and Bethsaida, 
were exposed more to Jesus than anywhere else in all of the world. They saw more of Jesus' miracles. They heard more of Jesus' teaching. They had more opportunity to accept Jesus than anybody. Now, how does that compare to Tyre and Sidon? Tyre and Sidon are up here in modern-day Lebanon on the Mediterranean Sea. Tyre and Sidon were not Jewish religious cities. Unlike the other two that Jesus just mentioned, Chorazim and Bethsaida and Capernaum, they had not been exposed to the teaching of the one true God of, of Judaism, the foundation. They had not been exposed as much to the Holy Scriptures. They had not had the opportunity to, to see as much of what Jesus had done and, and his message. And so here's what Jesus is saying here. I think Jesus is warning people who live in a city like Moncton, where there are a lot of churches where the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed, where there are people who grew up in church, people who grew up in a Christian family, but they have chosen to reject Jesus and follow the world rather than God. And so there are varying degrees of punishment based on the level of opportunity a person has had to accept Jesus. Here, here's another one, Romans 2, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant spirit, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to to what he has done. For believers, you can store up rewards, but if you continually reject Christ, you are storing up punishment. Now listen, I know this is scary. This is not like a, you know, this is not the kind of message. Frankly, I was like, God, really? This is the message you want me to give on the very first Sunday after a couple of months where everybody's back in the building and wants to celebrate? Yippee! I had already planned out all this series before we had this date on the calendar. This, I do not, this is not a, a teaching that brings me great joy to share. Other than I know the good news I know the good news, and I hope you do too. And so my heart breaks for many who know Jesus but have rejected him, and also for those who have accepted Jesus but have not really been serving him with their money, with their time, with their investment, with their resources, with their priorities? And what if the world's way is wrong? And what if the choices you make, even as a Christian every day, matter? Now, here's something that I think will make you feel better. Are you ready? I think you're gonna like this. The Bible says that there is a certain category of Christian who will get a stricter judgment than anyone else. Of all the people in this room, of all the people online, who do you think is gonna get the strictest judgment of anybody here? Me, thanks. Yes, true, yay me. James 3 verse one, 
says, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So will you pray for me? So each week I've tried to finish with an illustration of how grace works. And so here's the story I wanna tell you today to try to illustrate how, how grace works. When I was in grade school, elementary school, I don't remember what grade it was, probably grade four maybe, I don't remember exactly, but, but my bicycle was sad. Like it was an old hand-me-down, rusty kind of, uh, not, not great. And what I wanted for Christmas more than anything else was a shiny new BMX bike. And so as Christmas began to draw near in the month of December, a few weeks out, my father had a talk with me. And he said, Joel, I don't want you to go into the shed in the backyard. We had a shed down in the backyard, at the back of the yard, kind of along the tree line. And, uh, and we were, beyond that was kind of forest land. And, and, and so, uh, so he said, Joel, whatever you do, don't look in the shed. Oh, man. Because you tell me not to look in the shed, what do I want to do? And I did. See, my best friend was Tommy Muckenfuss. You got to say that one carefully. Tommy Muckenfuss and I, after school, remember in December, it's, it, it starts to get dark after about around five o'clock. And, and so Tommy Muckenfuss and I were, went back into the woods behind the house, out behind the shed after dark, after school one night. And we kind of egged each other on, and I'm not sure we helped each other make good choices, right? And, and, and so Tommy and I snuck around the side of the shed in the darkness, and there was a spotlight. There was a, a, a kind of a street light that, that, that was up high on a hill, and it, it shone all the way down right on the front door of that shed. So we're hiding around in the side in the dark. And as we're, we're looking around the side in the dark, we're getting ready to slip out. And we look around, we make sure the coast is clear, and we, we get to that door on the shed, and we, we, we open it up. And all of a sudden, as I get to look into the darkness of that shed, the streetlight is shining down through that crack in the door, and it catches chrome. Chrome, the most beautiful chrome BMX bike that I could possibly dream of. It was the bike of my dreams. And we shut the door and we slipped back into the darkness and I was so happy. This is gonna be the best Christmas ever. And so I go in that night and it's time for bed and I go into bed and my dad comes in and he, he sits on my bed and he says, Joel, yes, dad. Did you look in the shed tonight? Oh, what's that, Dad? I didn't hear you. Joel, did, did you look in the shed tonight? And I said, no, why do you ask? And he said, Joel, I know you're lying because I saw you. <laughs> I saw you. He asked, Joel, what did you see? And I hung my head and I said, I saw 
a BMX bike. And he said, Joel, you need to know something. That bike is not for you. Tommy's parents asked us if we could store it for them until Christmas. It's his gift, not yours. I said, Dad, I'm so sorry. And he said, son, I forgive you. But listen, you need to obey me when I tell you what to do. I said, yes, sir, yes, sir. And so for the next couple of weeks leading up to Christmas, <laughs> I lived in a, in a spirit of repentance. I felt so bad. I, I, I tried to be good and I worked around the house and I did whatever I could. So Christmas morning arrives and we get out of bed and I go running down the hall to the living room and I go in the living room and there was the chrome BMX bike from the garage. Best Christmas ever. I was like, yeah, baby. It was, it was all my dreams had come true. Now, why do I tell you that story? Three things I learned from that story. Number one, uh, yes, my parents lied to me. I can't explain it. They're gonna have to explain that to God. That's between them and God, okay? I'm not condoning that. Number two, I learned a lesson about how grace works. Because, because I had sinned, I had done wrong. And my father confronted me. And when he confronted me, I confessed my sin. And he forgave me. And I tried to be good. And he rewarded me. See, I learned that my father is gracious and forgiving and he gives gifts better than I deserve. And here's the third thing that I learned. The father is watching and he's taking account. And so the question is, what are you doing today storing up treasure in heaven? Would you stand with me? Maybe it's time for you to pray and confess your sins and receive Jesus as your Savior today. If that's where you are spiritually and you, you feel God tugging at your heart, we invite you just now to pray a prayer like this in your heart. Say, Lord, I confess that I've done wrong. I've been selfish. I've been living for myself rather than for you. Just go ahead and confess that to him right now in your heart. And now that you have confessed, believe. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for my sin. I believe that he rose again so that I can have new life. Believe and then receive. Right now in your heart, right now, will you invite him to come take control of your life? Invite his spirit to come into you.
that you can begin to lay that spiritual foundation in your life for the life that he has called you to live. To begin building on that life with the good works that bring glory to God, works of generosity and works of faithfulness and works of honor and integrity and works of charity and, and kindness. And commit to follow him for the rest of your life. Mm. Right now, if you prayed that prayer, all around this room, we wanna celebrate with you. And so we just wanna invite you right now to, to know that you are loved by God. And in just a few minutes, I'm gonna come back at the end of the song and share with you some next steps for you to take. But first, we wanna pray with everybody else here in the room, Lord, for, for anyone here who maybe, maybe, Lord, you've been convicting us about some of the things that we've been doing in our lives as Christians, or maybe some of the things that we have not been doing. And maybe we're coming out of a season of dormancy, a cold winter season in our spiritual lives, but that you are calling us forth to a new vibrancy, to spring, to a new beginning, to a new level of commitment for what you are calling us to do in the name of Jesus. May you be glorified in our lives as we surrender it all to you. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about Moncton Wesleyan, we invite you to visit our website at mw.church. We are here to help you with any questions you might have. See you next time.